So like I'm like from the south side of Chicago, then the south side of Atlanta, meeting like all these different people. And I'm like, I don't, you know, that you know, like it was like people like smile sometimes, like the type of things like that, where I wouldn't be challenged in my own community about not smiling. Like if you're in Chicago, you're actually taught not to smile because like that that looks weird. Like you like, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um just just for safety purposes like you should not be like smiling and doing all these things um, be tough. yeah depending uh, on the neighborhood so i've taught all these years to be tough but like my my life lessons don't apply to this part of my life anymore and i just felt out of place you know and what that started to look like was and i always tell people this like depression does not have to be sadness depression could literally be just some like it feels like someone like stripped you of all your energy so i just felt tired all the time i didn't feel like getting up i didn't feel like leaving um i felt i didn't feel like i was in control of my outcomes because um like i told you i never really had bad grades before so like I was just encountering so much. I'm like, I don't have people to talk to. I don't even, I thought I was smart, but obviously like that's not the case. Like that's what I'm saying to my 16 year old. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash ed talks and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks original audio shows news comedy and more from the leading audiobook publishers broadcasters and entertainers so download a free trial today and start listening it's that easy just go to audibletrial.com forward slash ed talks Hello, powerful people. My name is Edouard Gilles, personal development speaker and talk show host. And I want to welcome you to this holistic experience called Ed Talks Daily Personal Development and Motivation. This podcast is all about growth in all aspects of your life. How do you solidify a great mindset that will lead to a healthy body, healthy relationships, and an in-tune spirit? Well, join me on this journey to becoming the best version of ourselves. If you want a podcast that you can relate to, a podcast that will motivate and inspire you, all while educating you on ways to personally develop and grow as a being, Ed Talks Daily is for you. Find Ed Talks Daily on your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave your thoughts in the form of a review. Or tune in live every Monday at 12 p.m. by visiting FAURradio.com. How's it going, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Ed Talks Personal Growth and Motivation Podcast. As you know, I always like to bring you holistic content with inspiring and empowering people uh, to help you not only take care of your physical health, your mental health, or your spiritual or just or personal development, but to 
share their insight, their passion, their their reason for being with you as well. So one thing I don't do on any of my podcasts and shows is I like to let people give their self-introduction because you learn so much about people when they actually empower you uh, through their introduction. So Bailey, uh, why don't you give us a quick introduction about you, what you do, what you stand for, and why you do it? Okay. So um, I'm Bailey, like you said, <laughs> and um, I currently live in New York, but I have served um, several cities as a family therapist and a mental health therapist. Um, and in all of the cities that I lived in, including um, Chicago, Atlanta, Las Vegas, and New York, I typically live in the in the communities where black and brown people reside. Um, and that's just given me insight on uh, into our needs and the disparities, our strengths and everything. So like you mentioned earlier, it just allows me to um, address issues holistically. Um, and I don't know. I just think it's, it's important to me. I, I've always really wanted to like, just help people. And I found that, uh, I can do that through therapy and I can do that even better through podcasting and public speaking. So, uh, that's the big thing. Um, as far as like my profession, I, I work um, as a community therapist and supervisor. So I do um, in-home sessions with families. And I also um, train on racial equity um, at my job just to like help people understand the importance of racial equity. That That's amazing um, that helping people is is like something that you're really passionate about you know like you can hear it in your voice when you say it you can hear like it's it's authentic you know and you know i think therapy is just as much as helping people when you go through it you know you on the other end as much as it is helping yourself in a way kind Mm -hmm. of learning learning about people learning about their experiences learning how they came to be yeah Um, and and also i just think like with um black and brown people it's a it's a it's a duty and it's like something that I feel like I have to do because um we we experience the most stress um of any people in this world but we seek the less the like the less help around like mental health so there's definitely a large discrepancy there and um we're not like us seeking less help is not indicative of how well we're doing. Like we need the help. We're just not going to get it. So like taking on that mission, I think is very important. Yeah. So when we talk about therapy, what exactly is therapy? Is it a conversation? Is it a medical treatment? You know, uh, pretend I don't know anything about therapy and I'm listening to this podcast for the first time. So, um, if if I was breaking it down to someone who never, like they never heard that word, I would say that it's all about problem solving and helping you find better ways to get through your issues uh, more efficiently. 
so that you don't need to, you know, go to me all the time. It's, it's equivalent to going to a doctor for your body. Um, it is it's serving your mind. And so every now and then you go get a checkup, you get an annual. Um, if you're sick, you may go more often. If there's an issue, you may just check to see, you know, like if your eye is twitching or something, let me go check and make sure everything's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, that is what, that's how um, therapy can serve people and function, uh, help people function. And another, there, there are like various reasons why you would go to therapy or use therapy. One other reason is um, uh, helping with the transition of life, uh, life cycles or life phases. So life phases includes getting married, having a child, the child graduating um, and moving out of your house, divorce. All of these different things are life phases. And usually when we have these transitions, sometimes it gets a little bumpy. And so having a person to mediate or support you through that transition can just make it um, less difficult and also um, prevent you from any trauma. Because oftentimes if we're going through um, phases and cycles in our lives, we can actually be traumatized if um, it's dealt with in a, in a poor manner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, and it, I think one good example is divorce. You know, it, it's, it's helpful to have someone there that can support the entire family because divorce hurts for everyone. It hurts for the parents. It hurts for the kid. A lot of times the kids start to internalize that it's their fault. Um, sometimes the parents are so uh, in the midst of it that they can't really um, prioritize or focus on the children, you know, because there's just so much going on. So that would be a perfect example of a reason why going to therapy would help. So let's reverse the roles. Um, instead of you being the therapist, let's say I'm your therapist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's think about a time that you you felt like you needed someone to mediate, you know, the inner conversation. Like I always say that you were having with yourself or like the lack of conversation that you're not having with yourself um, because you were going through some sort of um, obstacle in your life. Do you, do you have any occurrences like that? Oh, Yeah. One of my biggest obstacles was actually when I was starting college. So as I said, I've always uh, lived and interacted in predominantly black and brown communities. Um, But I went to a predominantly white college and that was a culture shock. Like it was, it was so bad. Like I just did it. I literally, I felt like an alien. And, um, I think there were only about 5% black, uh, students at the time. And the, the program wasn't really, uh, supportive of African-American students. And it's weird. It had supports, but not directly for African-American students. It was like a multicultural support. So it helped with international students um, from other countries. But for me as a minority, it it wasn't many tools there. And so um, I 
Now, this speaks to a whole nother uh, issue that can go on for a whole hour. But um, I went to schools that were um, in black communities as a result of redlining these. So in in these schools, I, I was doing really well. Like I was typically the top of my class, always getting A's and B's. And then when I went to the college, um, me being the best was not the best there. And the fact that like no one really looked like me and they were doing significantly better than me, it was just a, a really, it was, it was a shock, not even like within like the culture, but it was like, I, I was realizing that my schools didn't prepare me as well as other schools may have prepared other people. And that's when I started to like question, um, you know, what was so different about the schools that I was going to, what was so different about the communities that I was going to going through. So that was, that was a lot. Yeah. But, and I, and I, w- I would say that was my first encounter with um, depression. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So dealing with depression, was that freshman year in, in college or was that like mm-hmm. sophomore freshman. year? Freshman year. Definitely. But, uh, walk us through that experience just just briefly. Okay. So um, when I first got there, uh, the the my advisor was like, I mean, in completely impressed with my like everything. He was like, wow, you're 16. You know, you've been getting like A's and six. Wait, let's stop. Let's stop right there. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Bailey's 16 years old, freshman in college. Yeah. That's beautiful. You can continue. Yeah, I I skipped 11th grade um, and I like went to some other programs when I was in second grade due to like being gifted. So um, it, yeah, put me ahead, but. Um, even though I was uh, academically prepared, I wasn't emotionally prepared to be with 18 year olds. Mm. So, you know, they're doing adult things and I'm like, I'm trying to like, you know, move with them, but I just couldn't keep up. Yeah. And so, um, even though the legal age of drinking is 21, it's pretty known that in college, you know, people start to drink and experiment and all these other things. And so I'm in those circles and it's it's literally just too, it's way too before my time to do these things because I'm 16. I'm trying to manage a college, um, like curriculum. My, my advisor at the time thought that like, I was really prepared. He was like, I'm gonna put you in this junior history and this advanced French. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) And like that, and I started to plummet when I started to get like my first bad grades. So that was one marker. The other marker was that I could not, I could not find a friend circle. Like I just did not have friends. I didn't have supports because no one looked like me. I I literally, the whole like code switching thing, that was not a skill that I had because I never had to use it. So like I'm like from the south side of Chicago, then the south side of Atlanta, meeting like all these different people, and I'm like, I don't, you know, that you know, like it was like people like smile sometimes, like the type of things like that, where I wouldn't be challenged in my own community about not smiling. Like if you're in Chicago, you're actually taught not to smile 
because like that that looks weird like you (laughs) don't do that (laughs) um just just for safety purposes like you should not be like smiling and doing all these things that'd be tough yeah depending on the neighborhood so i taught all these years to be tough but like my my life lessons don't apply to this part of my life anymore and I just felt out of place, you know, and what that started to look like was, and I always tell people this, like depression does not have to be sadness. Depression could literally be just some, like, it feels like someone like stripped you of all your energy. So I just felt tired all the time. I didn't feel like getting up. I didn't feel like leaving. Um, I felt, I didn't feel like I was in control of my outcomes, because, um, like I told you, I never really had bad grades before. So, like, I was just encountering so much. I'm like, I don't have people to talk to. I don't even, I thought I was smart. But obviously, like, that's not the case. Like, that's what I'm saying to my 16-year-old. Hey, powerful people. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would like to borrow a few minutes to tell you about a very exciting project that I'm working on and really need your support. Not only have I started life coaching and health wellness coaching, I actually call it, and I invite you to get coached by me. I also launched a Patreon page. Now, Patreon is a way that you can support your favorite creators by becoming a patron. And by being a patron, you leave monetary support. It could literally be the cost of a frappuccino from Starbucks, $5 a month, $10 a month, $20 a month. And with that contribution, you get access to a lot more exclusive content. Now, some of the content that I offer is workout videos, interviews with holistic doctors and wellness and health coaches with uh, mindset gurus and all of these extra things that you are not now getting from my podcast alone or from my show alone, as well as Qigong meditative videos. So if you're learning about the art of Qigong through this podcast and you're wondering, how do I actually get started? Patreon is actually a great page for you to get involved with that. And if you'd like to get that started, all you have to do is refer to the description of this podcast and you'll see the link. Click on it, select one of the tiers and become a patron. I really, really would love your support. I want to dedicate a lot of my time to produce you the best quality holistic health content and with your monetary support, I can really do that. And if that doesn't work out for you, you can always leave a donation via anchor.fm and that's also in the description so thank you so much for tuning into this podcast and continue on listening on thank you so much so yeah and so like i had to really push through and you know what helped what helped was me getting friends um and then also like i had a like a an actual breakdown and like my mom like noticed she's like what is happening with you and it was it was it was a it was like at a point where I had I think I had a 25 page paper to write and I was like I, can't, I really can't do this like I've never wrote anything over 10 pages like what are we probably even five pages like what <laughs> like I don't have that much to say so I was just going crazy like I felt I literally felt crazy. I was like, this is my, I don't know if this was for me. I, I, f- I feel you on that one. Like it's, 
you know, there's there's this thing that when uh, when our blueprint of what we think our life should be, when that goes out of this order, mm-hmm. it, it causes chaos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have all of these different emotions of, you know, fear of not being good enough or or like I suck. I experienced that. Like I was the summa cum laude uh, graduate and then I come to high school. (laughs) (laughs) So I was the 5.2 GPA guy to the 2.5. And and it was like, it was frustrating. And I'm still in college now and a lot of great things came out of it. Um, You know, like my show and everything that's going on, but it was, it was like a hit to my self-esteem. It was yeah. to the ego. Mm-hmm. So do you think that a lot of times, the, what is the outlying cause of, you know, like feeling depressed because your life is not meeting the expectations? Is that like a big, a big thing that you see? I Yeah, I think you hit on a really good point. Like sometimes it can be that we have um, schemas. We have way, we have plans and intentions for our lives and then when it doesn't go that way it it gives you like a a cognitive dissonance where you just can't even like your thoughts and your actions are not aligned with one another and it's really difficult to like continue continue to function you know like for me my schema was I'm smart I'm successful you know, all these things. And then when an action happens that is not aligned with what you what you identify as you, then like it becomes a problem. It's like, wait a minute. Like I told I I said I could fly and all of a sudden I'm falling. Like what is this? Mm-hmm. You know? And I think I think that uh can be a lot for anyone at any age, you know? So it's important to like create goals and have expectations, but they need to be realistic and you need to um, understand that even if something doesn't happen the way that you wanted it to, there's still a positive from that. And that's kind of how I, I've survived by just looking at what I gained from every situation and not labeling it as a failure. Mm-hmm. You know? So whether that's patience, whether that's understanding, um, you know, whether that's just the strength to like keep going, like being steadfast, like every situation is an opportunity for us to learn and grow more. And that's how we have to continue to look at our lives opposed to looking at things as failures or, you know, uh, setbacks and there's nothing is a setback. I had a concussion in December and I don't consider that a failure or setback. Mm -hmm. I consider it an opportunity for me to acknowledge that I need to take more time to take care of myself and not feel um, like so under pressure by like work demands and things like that. Like work is going to get done. No one's going to die. Like, you know, just because I took off one day, like if anything, I'm going to live better and more fuller and help people, you know, in the best way I can. Mm. You know, that's important that you brought that up because the one thing I was thinking is that you said that it can happen at any stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like even when you feel, even at the, the stage of incompetency, when you feel like you don't know enough or the stage of 
competency and confidence where you know you know enough and you're confident that you know enough but then you but can't, it's not happening right yeah but but you still can't help people or like for yeah. you your thing or is to help not people. becoming sex successful as you as you want to that's yeah, a, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a big one because i've experienced it you know like and it has it has been my personal story of like really wanting to understand the emotion of guilt the emotion of worry um how does play how does guilt play into like affect affecting our ability to act in our stress level do you do you notice anybody being a lot feeling guilty about what they do uh, when they come yeah. to you yeah the well the way the way we deal with guilt in therapy is to i'm really big on um using like solution focused therapy tools as as well as narrative therapy tool. And um, one of the commonality in those approaches or therapy approaches is to really examine your narrative and how you're telling your story because it's it a lot of our thoughts are based on our perception, not reality. Mm. And so just because um, you may look over and you compare yourself to one peer, that peer could be an outlier or an exception to the rule and you're right on task, but you're, you're so busy comparing mm -hmm. and then becoming guilty because you haven't, you know, you haven't hit those markers. Um, but that it's really perception. And so um, we, 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 what we do is we, um, challenge people to identify the actual the success that they had because it's very natural for everyone just as a human being to maximize and magnify uh, failures in negative um, situations over the positive so you actually have to like itemize every win you have and itemize every positive um a thing that's happened in your life because when something bad happens, you will forget that positive thing like this. Like you won't even remember it. Like someone will be like, but you just bought a house and you're like, so what? Like I don't yeah. care. Like I so call. he just cut me off. <laughs> right. He just pissed the whole day, right? Right. It's like, wait a minute, like you have a house, you have a you have a car, you just got a new job. It's like, I don't care that the train was late when I like it could be yeah. anything. Mm -hmm. So um one thing that I tell like I I give this homework to people every now and then, but I challenge people to identify uh the top five things that you're thankful for for that day and then by the the evening time especially when things are getting tough write a letter to one of those things like even if you're thankful for podcasting write a letter to podcasting write a letter to uh journaling whatever it is write a letter and it what that does is help materialize and make things more concrete um because sometimes we the abstract things we don't actually take time and say okay like this is something that i accomplished and this is something i need to acknowledge because um guilt uh, can show up as a form of faulty cognition and it's something that you can actually you can talk yourself out of guilt mm -hmm. you can talk yourself out of guilt Mm -hmm. 
as far as like relationships go, I have a lot of people who feel guilty about the way a relationship transpired. And sometimes, depending on what the situation is, it's important to like take the lessons from that that relationship and just move forward in a positive way opposed to like things like closure like I hear a lot of people say I just want closure and closure might not be guaranteed you know like it might not be appropriate depending on how the relationship ended like let's say it's a domestic violence situation your closure is when you get out <laughs> so throwing like, gas into the fire right like, back in. you don't need any more closure than that mm-hmm. you need to your closure is work that you'll do without that person that could be for forgiving that person that could be making sure that you're safe but that doesn't necessarily mean like you need to write a person a letter with your return address on it like that you know closure can look different it could be a ceremony that you create for yourself. Like I could have closure for a relationship with people who were not in that relationship at all. I mean, they weren't part of that relationship, but they just, they could be people in my life. Like I could say, Hey, let's go, you know, have lunch or whatever, just to commemorate me getting out of this relationship. And just, you know, I want everyone to say something that they saw or acknowledged in that relationship. That could be a form of closure, you know? Mm. So like embracing that and and finding alternative ways to do things that are um, advantageous for yourself, like advantageous for like life in general. Like if it, if it's not something that's positive and, won't really help you or the people around you, then you probably shouldn't be engaging in it. Mm. So like, what, what are some positive practices that we could engage in to allow us to communicate with ourselves better and be able to get to the point where we can have that sense of closure, uh, where we can kind of understand what's going on with us, where we could actually notice these emotions, right? The emotions of, of doubt, of worry, of fear, of, uh, guilt. How, what is one way that we can actually be more self-aware? Um, I think writing is really helpful. Um, like just actually journaling and, and I recommend journaling even before you talk to a person, because sometimes, uh, when you, when you put out your like raw thoughts, um, like unedited, like the draft thoughts, like it could be harmful to um, yourself and to others. Meaning like, I could just say, you know, like, I really didn't like what you said and I don't like the way you look today. Like, that's not a productive statement, but that could be how I feel. So if I journal something before I put it out in the universe uh, to a person, then I could potentially have a better uh, result, a better product when I'm communicating that, Mm. you know, like I could, instead of me just telling you what I don't like, I could just be like, so why do you like the color? I mean, why do you wear blue so often, you know, do some investigation before I just start like criticizing and things like that. Mm. Um, And the other thing uh, in um, aligned with journaling would be like positive affirmations. So I have them all around my office. Like I have about 10 different, like just positive statements that I can, even, anywhere I turn, I'm like, oh, there we go. You're great. Oh, there you go. Keep going. Like, because 
like I said, like negativity creeps in, like even when you're not inviting it, even when you're not thinking about it. So you have to have like positive reminders um, to you. Um, And then the other thing I want to just mention is the importance of mindfulness. Mindfulness is like a, a type of meditation. And with mindfulness, you it's the objective is not to zone everything out. It's to zone everything in and be aware. And I started using mindfulness when I was experiencing a lot of pain because um, I needed to learn how not to magnify the pain. Because if you tell yourself that you're in tons of pain, your, your mind actually responds to that and communicates to your pain receptors. And it's like, okay, yep, we're in pain. We're in more pain now. (laughs) And so if you like do mindfulness and mindfulness is the practice of um, controlling your breaths, making sure that they're slow and steady. Um, You inhale, you exhale, like on the count of four. Um, And you just continue to do that while you're being mindful and exploring your thoughts or your feelings or your your um, your physical uh, any physical sensations that you have. And you can do mindfulness anywhere. And I recommend doing especially especially if you're pissed off at someone (laughs) like just before you even go talk to them, just close your eyes keep counting the four on your, your in and out breaths and just start thinking about what you, what thoughts you're having mm-hmm. and thinking about, are these thoughts rational? Are these thoughts rooted in emotion? And if these thoughts are rooted in emotion, how can I move into what we call wise mind in therapy? Wise mind is like the optimal medium between rational and emotional. So you don't want to be rational. And I know that sounds weird, but rational is the act of like a thought without any emotion and so that can be very harmful to people mm-hmm. like if i'm just like well objectively you know people will die and that's that's the end of it like and you're just <laughs> pissing off the next person really. <laughs> right. <laughs> right so like you want to make sure that even though you may have facts about what you're saying, you're still being compassionate and thoughtful about how people will receive what you're saying or what you're thinking. So mindfulness, I I say, go check it out. You can even check it out on my, um, on the podcast, on my podcast. I have, um, I have a mindfulness episode. It's like five minutes and it just teaches you how to do mindfulness and you don't have to do guided mindfulness where you're listening to someone else. But I posted that episode or that little mini sode just so people could um, embrace the practice of mindfulness on their own times. When you're frustrated, when you're depressed, when you're tired, when you're in pain, it's a perfect time to be mindful. Yeah. Yeah, I think mindfulness should be uh, something that you do all the time. I mean, and I'm talking about everyone, like mm -hmm. police officers, correction officer, every prisoner, everyone needs to practice mindfulness. But and I, I guarantee you, if everyone was practicing mindfulness, they it would significantly decrease. Um, the crime and you know all of the um, like the deaths that we see like 
that should not happen within our justice system. Mm -hmm. Because mindfulness will allow you to say, oh man, like I actually identify that most of the people that I'm arresting or I'm targeting are black. What is that about? (laughs) That's a thought that you would be able to have if you actually just sat and cleared your mind, you know, and, and thought, okay, this is, I'm, I'm aware of this. And then, and after you realize, after you gain that level of awareness or self-awareness, then you can take the next step of saying, okay, what am I going to do about that? You know, like for me, I, because I practice mindfulness all the time, I know what my triggers are. My biggest trigger is people lying to me, but just because I'm triggered, I still have a responsibility, um, to not respond you know, in a poor manner, because I could snap, but like that, that's just not appropriate. Yeah. So, but the fact that I know what triggers me, I can slow down my actions and my thoughts um, while I'm doing that. Now, some people, if they're not aware and they're not mindful, things could be happening to you and you're pissed and you don't even know why. Yeah. Like, well, you know, I'm about to go off and like, God forbid you have a gun or whatever you have. Like that could be, that could be the response because you're not mindful or self-aware. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I practice it too. One thing I always, one thing I do every day that I think everyone should do is say this affirmation. I would say this, this coding of my brain to understand of the things I can't change, you know, like for instance, Earlier today, you know, I was doing a, I was doing a show, and then I I was late to doing this podcast, which I guess everyone needed to know. But I I just had to take a deep breath and be like, well, I can't change it. It's it's done now. Or like if I'm trying to catch a train and I miss it, mm-hmm. I, I say to myself, I can't change it. So every time that I say that, what I can't change and what I can change, that allows me to have a different perspective. Or for instance. One way I overcome guilt was like, well, I am late on this project. Maybe I should be a little bit guilty because my value said I have to be on time. And I say, well, I can't change that I was late, but I can change what I'm going to do from this day forward. So I think those two questions really can have you really to be more mindful of the things that you can change and the things that you that's already done in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. So, um, oh, were you going to ask? No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, like I, 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 like you walking through that affirmation highlights the fact that sometimes our cognitions get the best of us and our own values get the best of us. Like you're like, damn, I'm late. You know, like I hate being late. I don't want people to perceive me as someone who doesn't prioritize this. But what can like actually change a cognition is if you think about what happened the last maybe five times you were late, you know, and and typically if you think of the collection of times that you were late, you realize nothing really happened outside of all the feelings I experienced. Like I was upset. I was nervous. I was all I was guilty. Mm -hmm. But the people who saw me like maybe they made a comment, maybe they didn't. But what did it change? Like, you probably still had that job, mm-hmm. probably still got that project, like all these things. You probably still was able to see, you were able to see the show, 
Uh, and you know, like you, you tried to get there on time, but you didn't. Like mm-hmm. if you missed the first part of the movie, you're gonna see the movie when it comes mm-hmm. out of the show, or you can go back. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's not the end of the world uh, because of whatever it was, because you were late, or because you know you didn't do something correctly. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at the last five times, that could be helpful, like mm-hmm. eliminating those cognitions. Mm-hmm. It's like wasted mental energy, right? You know, like one of the biggest, I would say, stress and anxiety right now in our world, worrying and and being anxious uh, is, it's it's causing people to be sick, you know, like mental, not just the physical illness that worry can actually bring to you because stress over time, releasing all that cortisol is definitely not going to help you, right? But is the um the inability to actually do something because you're so consumed by fear. So let's talk about the emotion of fear. What does fear do to human will and human desire to act? So yeah, I mean fear it can like literally freeze you in your tracks. Um and then for other people it can cause you to, you know, respond immediately. Um, fear is, fear is actually, so with stress, like you said, there are, um, like stress can occur in somatic ways and you, it shows up in your body and you see the sickness, but fear can be even uh, more damaging than stress. It can lead you to death faster than stress can, funny Mm -hmm. enough. So like um there are people like stress itself can like you know eventually lead you to like heart attack stroke uh these type of things but fear of the heart attack and fear of the stroke could bring you to those things even faster could even cause it too yes yes and so uh one thing that i always um encourage people to do like i was saying is see stress itself as an opportunity because if you start fearing stress then you're gonna get to those things that you fear the most even faster you just kind of like run into them like if if i you know like with phobias and things like that you're so in tuned with what the phobia is that you notice it when no one else notices it like it could be a spider and you're like there's a spider one block away and it's like how did you see that mm-hmm. and it's because like fear is opening you up to just see everything that could possibly be a threat to you and look like a spider right so and so and so yeah I, I, it's important to one try to coach yourself um by like challenging those cognitions um, through, uh, through mindfulness. And also the other thing that's really helpful to eliminate fear is like identifying supports that can like minimize or like, um, eliminate the situation, whatever that may be. So for me, one really great example is I have a fear of leap of my daughter not getting picked up from school i'm like and and it has lots of different um reasons it could be uh i don't want to look like a bad parent 
I don't want to be, I don't want her to be upset or traumatized that she's like the last kid at the school. Um, I also have like tons of responsibilities, like being a therapist and a supervisor and a podcaster. So I'm doing tons of networking events. And sometimes I, I have a fear of like cutting them short, you know, and looking like less professional. And so I had to find ways to eliminate that fear. So I started finding people who could actually support me in those transitions. Like if I know that I won't be able to pick my child up or I know that I have a very like jam-packed day as far as the schedule goes, I start to think, okay, like who would possibly be available and starting to advocate for myself because the whole independent thing, it's like so toxic, like to our uh, like black and brown people's identity because we're a communal people. So it's like weird for us to be like, I'm an independent woman and I'm an independent this and all this. It's just so damaging because we like operate in a very communal way. We need our supports. We thrive with our supports and our resources and like cutting them off can like really like keep us down. So like if anyone, whoever's listening to this, I hope that you take that away more than like all of the other things, like find your supports because your supports can help you when it comes to fear. Your supports can help you when it comes to guilt, stress, all of those things. They can help in ways to eliminate that because support looks different in different ways. It can be emotional support. It could be like a physical support who would actually pick my child up from school. Um, it could be a, a, not even um. it could be a support that's like, oh, hey, you know, like this this needs to happen, like a reminder type of support or a support for accountability. Like if you're trying to get back in the gym, that friend that'll say, hey, did you go work out today? Like, yes, you're going to be mad at them for that quick second. Like, no, I didn't go yet. <laughs> but like if no one's asking you, you can continue to stay in your bed like whenever you want for those five days. And then you're going to be upset in the summer when you're taking pictures and you can't get in that swimsuit. <laughs> so like supports can just look different in different ways. But I think that that's the most important part um, that people need because also supports will check you with those, those cognitions, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're over here, like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, on site like when i see him on site i'm gonna do this blah 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 and it's like really pause like what are you talking about this is chicago (laughs) (laughs) so are you you're really going to you know whatever uh when you see this person what about jail what about like you know that interview you had that day like all these things just like starting to ask you about the reality opposed to like feeding into those emotions that often dominate our actions sometimes if we're not being mindful mm. so do you think people should take out the time to join like a support group or anything like that or a community so i i think that support groups are really important especially for um unique situations where there are not that many people that have experienced what you experienced, like that are like close to you. So for example, like losing a parent to cancer or um, even 
having um like maybe having a miscarriage or something like that even though miscarriages are common people don't talk about it that often so like if if you join a group where people are like communicating about that i think that that could be very beneficial um so like sometimes support groups are great if you don't have uh friends that experience some of the things you experience but like more common things you know going to therapy or just finding friends who experience these things could be helpful like getting an f on your chemistry test like that's probably something that if you just ask someone in the chemistry class they're like yeah i failed it too <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so that like that could be you know like a, a source of support um and like a, and then of course like if if you can't find the support group i always think therapy is a really great tool um if it's accessible mm. So when when we was talking about fear before, it got me thinking about African Americans and Black and Brown communities. Um, you know, we may not categorize it as fear because we're tough. You know, we're tough. We're tough, right? Yeah. So, but do you do you think that the fear being imposed in the hearts of you know Black and Brown communities, as far as like, well, I might go out, I might get shot today. You know, I might go out. And, you know, there's there's racism or there's like these things making us fearful for our future. You know, how does that affect our, our being and our mental health? Such a great question. I actually talk about that on um, two of my episodes. One is uh, it's called um, Strong and Stressed Black Woman. And then the other one is called um, I think it's called Slavery and uh um, I think it's PTSD. But the thing that I talk about is the fact that fear can definitely um, affect us adversely and is very connected to like the trauma that we, we hold. Mm. Uh, and so when you are, let's say, over-traumatized, and when I say over-traumatized, I'm, I'm thinking about, and this, this is a lot of Black people. This is a lot of Black and Brown people. I'm thinking about, about people who um, have generational trauma, who are living in distressed neighborhoods, AKA hoods, projects, whatever this is, whatever you wanna call it. Um, people who have had to survive from generation to generation with low income, um, who have experienced, you know, just the lack of resources due to redlining and things like that. When you have so many, um, decades of the, of society failing you you that's trauma and what that trauma looks like is us being hypervigilant and what hypervigilant looks like it could be that tough thing like i told you like i was taught not to smile right why wouldn't i smile because i want to look strong i want to look um like i'm like i'm defensive enough to take care of myself why would I want to do that? Because uh, the country has ensured that black and brown people do not reap the benefits of the work that we put into this country. And so 
with most of us, most are not upper middle class or middle class. We're still considered low income in poverty. Like that's where most of us exist. And of course there are some winning and, but that that's not representative of the entire uh, community of people of color in, in the country. And so, um, you know, then you start to get labels like angry black woman or angry, ang- you know, the, why, why are uh, black men so uh, 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 defensive or all these things, but it's literally a result and a response of us feeling the need to protect ourselves from trauma. And that is definitely a wear and tear on the body. You know, I just remember, I mean, there's so many situations uh, where I'm thinking about fear. Um, And like, I, and I always highlight this, like I, I'm not white passing, but I do acknowledge that I'm light skinned, right? And so you would, maybe people would be like, well, she's light skinned, so she, shouldn't experience as much uh, stress or trauma or there's some privilege aligned with that. And I don't deny that there's privilege aligned with being light-skinned. However, every time I get pulled over, like light skin doesn't matter to me. Like I I still, my heart still races like every other black and brown person Mm -hmm. who who has that fear, you know? Um, And I'm also pulled over way more than, white counterparts, especially when I was going to the college. I was driving, I was at a predominantly white school, and I got pulled over way more times than I would like because I was one of the few black kids that went to that school, you know? And no, and seeing what we see in media, how uh, effortlessly they take away uh, black people during like just routine traffic stops, like it's, it's scary. It's mm-hmm. really scary. Um, and what I was just amplifying in my episodes was that, unfortunately, you know, if we let that weigh on us, it, it can lead to death. And it, it is leading, leading to death. Black people have the, the highest um, rates of heart disease, the highest rates of diabetes, hypertension. They have the highest rates of um, maternal maternal mortality rates or prenatal mortality rates. So that just means that the mothers are dying within nine months of having a child, or yeah, with on each either side. So after the child's born or before the child's born, um, and our rates are the highest. It also means that our babies are dying uh, higher in a higher rate than any other. Um, race or sex um you know in america mm-hmm. so i mean that's a, that's a problem you know and i would love to say like oh we're like we're resilient and we're getting through it but there's a lot of work to be done you know mm-hmm. what is what is some of that work so um holistically it's a lot of work one thing like if we're talking about um medical providers and even mental health providers at the work on the side of the professional side is that we need to check in our implicit bias and really listen to uh, black and brown people when they come to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the problem that we go to medical professionals and they're not listening. 
you tell them that your you you know your chest is hurting you tell them that you you can't breathe and instead of them like really investigating they're just giving they're throwing a blanket recommendation at you and giving you the same prescription that everyone else is um getting maybe because the pharmaceutical companies are paying them mm-hmm. to push out that that prescription you so- know when you say that, it makes me think about a lot of our issues, underlying issues. It's not due to one cause. It's not like oh, they're mental. There's a mental issue there. It's probably uh, the decisions of uh, decisions that happen because of these things. You know, I'm, I'm it's, fearful. It's so of this, you know, I'm gonna eat this food, and I'm, this is gonna happen. And because uh, I, I honestly, I could give a a solution to every. Uh, industry you can think of the food industry has a, a part in this the medical industry um p- politicians have a part in this like the the government overall has a part in this uh, uh black people we have a part in this you know media. like the media has a part everything <laughs> so so you know what i think that if we had to like um, take one word and say like, what's the solution and where do we start is accountability. That's what needs to happen. Because first off, there's so many people and entities that aren't even, we haven't, I mean, we're, this reparations talk is great, but like, there are so many people that are still not acknowledging that, like, it was that big of a thing, you know, like people, People often say, I forgot the percentage, but it's something small. It's either three or six percent of people were slave owners. So if only three or six percent of of people in America, white people in America were slave owners, what were you what were the other 90 something percent doing like while we were suffering? You know, Mm -hmm. you're complicit. You and 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 you're complicit, and it's it's ha- and it's um it's being revealed every single year. Oh, this bank used to write um loans for slave owners. Oh, this this company used to give uh insurance for the bodies of slave owners. Oh, this company used to write newspapers just to print when slaves were on sale. Like everyone had a hand in it. So just because you you didn't own the plantation doesn't mean that you're just absolved from all guilt or responsibility. And even if even if you do not come from a lineage of slave owners or even slaves, you still have some way that you can help and be an ally to to end the the um the dis the disservice and the unjust. Uh, um, treatment that we're receiving and Mm -hmm. I feel like that should be our stance everywhere we go if I go to Nigeria now I have a responsibility and accountability to help the communities in Nigeria but if you come to America you need to be responsible and accountable for helping the people here who are not receiving the treatment that they should Mm. so you know let's Finishing off that on that note, what would you be? Which what would be your last message to Black and Brown communities alike? Like, what what should we do now to think? You know, all of these issues that we're facing. You know, all of these um obstacles that are in our way. What can we do to one thing be more mindful mm-hmm. to find a solution, um, or to just get out the way? What can we so, do? So the 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 
um, most important thing that I think we can do because it's such a, a large um, issue that needs to be um, addressed. I think starting with our families is really important because our families um, are just a, I would say a micro picture of the bigger picture, you know? So everything that you see, you probably have it within your family. There, there's probably domestic, not maybe not in your nuclear family, mm-hmm. but someone, there's probably domestic violence. There's probably substance use. There's probably someone who needs mental health uh, care and they're not getting it. Or there's probably someone who's not getting sufficient medical care. It's okay to focus on your family because if we are all focusing on our family, guess what? That makes a, a, a more whole and strong community. Yeah, that solves the issue, actually. Yeah. And and I feel like that's more realistic to tell people than saying like become the next MLK and everything will be great, you know. Like we don't need. I mean, I mean, having another MLK would be great, but also like just taking on some of the recommendations that the greats have given us and and implementing it in your own family is really important. Big, and and that makes better human beings, you know. Like I, all I need to do is focus on making sure that my daughter, it has the values and is re- responsible and respectful. And when she comes up, I I can feel comfortable that she will put good things out in the in the world. Wow, baby, so. that's a very powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Because I relate to that, you know. You know, I teach people how to meditate, do Tai Chi, Qigong in the park. I, I'm a motivational oh, speaker. Nice. And I and I empower people, you know, as much as I can. But one thing that struck me every time that I go show up to the park is when I, I look around. And I, if I don't see my mom, I don't see uh, my grandma who has cancer. And, like, you know, I haven't been able to convince my grandma. I tried. Um, but, like, when I don't see them, it makes me feel like, what am I doing everything I'm doing for if my mm-hmm. family cannot benefit of all of these great things I'm learning about mm-hmm. that I know? So I try to make it one of my my major mission to, you know, like, be there for them as much as I possibly can, you know, at least the parts of my family that wants me to be there. So yeah. thank you so much for that message. And if you're listening, it was Mother's Day yesterday. If you haven't talked to your mom, I'm sure you, you would have. I just give her a call or something. You happy know? Mother's Day! <laughs> to all the mothers listening all around the world, happy Mother's Day. Um, thank you so much, Bailey. Can you give us more information about your podcast? Yes. Yeah. In contact with? Just plug yourself in. This is the part yeah, where you yeah, plug yeah. it in. All right. So hashtag pay, pay black women. <laughs> um, I I have a podcast and it's called Mind Over Melanin. Um, the website is mindovermelanin.com. Um, if you would like to help sustain my podcast or even my public speaking engagements, I have opportunities for you to become a patron um, or just donate through PayPal. Um, and you can find that on the website. My Instagram is Mind Over Melanin Pod, and my Facebook and Twitter are Mind Over Melanin. I'm not that active on those, but you know it's worth stopping by. Um, if I if you engage with me, I will engage with you. Um, and I also have YouTube, and you can find me through Mind Over Melanin on YouTube, or just go to the website and find all the links there. 
But thank you. Be sure to go follow her. You know, that's how I found her. It was on Instagram and I checked out the podcast. Great stuff. Um, Go ahead and look for it. Don't just think about it. Everything she actually mentioned, some of the episodes, I'm going to put in the description so you can actually check it out. And thank you so much, Bailey, for being on the show. And thank you for listening. Uh, I would like to remind you that you have the unlimited power to achieve whatever it is that you want. But until you believe it, until you take the initiative to uh, let it out, uh, the world will forever miss your talents, your gifts, and all the great things that you have to offer. And whatever it is that may be in your way, whatever mental block, uh, find the resources, find somebody, a sense of community that you can talk to, uh, to kind of help you navigate. Uh, thank you so much. Please be sure to uh, subscribe to this podcast. And if you can hear my voice, you're tuning in to the Ed Talks Daily Personal Development and Motivation Podcast. And I want to thank you for taking the initiative to grow holistically and invite you to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. I want to remind you that you have unlimited power within you to achieve whatever it is that you want and to construct the person you want to be. But first, you must believe it in order to achieve it. And until that happens, the world will forever miss your talents, your gifts, and all the great things that you have to offer. So let your light shine, don't hide it, don't dim it. Thank you. Find Ed Talks Daily on your favorite podcast app and be sure to leave your thoughts in the form of review. Until next time, remain in your unlimited power.